Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebout, a podcast joining listeners in Nebraska and other places to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Padesh in California, and I'm joined with my co-host and friend, Liz Felstrin in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you? Hi, Alan. I am doing very well. How are you? I am good. We have kind of been on a little bit of a break as uh, you and I have had other obligations and we haven't been able to have our podcast. Uh, but, we're, a few weeks. but we're resuming today after the announcement yesterday of the government uh, dissolving the coalition that was built by Naftali Bennett and Nir Lapid has um, collapsed after a year and one week. I know that you and I both held our breaths uh, after the beginning of this and each week that it was successful or it went on, uh, we were more comfortable with it. So give me your perspective on what's what's going on on the street in Israel and how are you dealing with the collapse of the government? Sure. So I guess it makes sense, right? If anything could get us back on track after a few weeks off, it would take, you know, the, <laughs> the potential dissolving of the government and the uh, changeover of prime ministers. How are we feeling here in Israel? I would say that as, you know, changes of executive leadership go, this is probably a fairly calm one, if only for the fact that this, uh, the construction of this government from from the beginning was such that at, at some point, Naftali Bennett would finish being prime minister and Yair Lapid would become prime minister. True. It was supposed to happen a little bit further down the road. Um, but, you know, I think uh, knowing that this was the person who would at some point be prime minister if the government didn't completely fall prior um, makes it feel like a little bit smoother of a transition. And I think uh, the, the more tense part of it is not so much, you know, who will be prime minister right now and, and what the government might look like in the next few months, but more so if we have elections in October, will we find ourselves in the same sort of cycle of having stalled and unproductive elections like we did the last time around? Right, which was very costly for the country to run three separate sets of elections before getting to some workable number. So it brings light to the situation. So we know that politics in Israel or formation of governments in Israel can change uh, pretty easily. The fact that this coalition that established a government and put Naftali Bennett, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, in place with one of the smaller parties and knowing that you have to, in Israel, you have to have 61 seats to have a majority out of the 120, that 61 number fluctuated quite consistently over the past year with people threatening to leave or people leaving and always putting the coalition at risk. So what was it that um, turned the tide all of a sudden that Naftali Bennett's party, Yamina, uh, is now no longer represented so much in the coalition, which makes his role kind of weaker. That's kind of my 
view from afar that uh, we we have to look at the players that have kind of caused this collapse. Yeah. So uh, we can address that. The first thing I'll say, though, is that I, I don't think that anything drastic happened to get um, the government from 61 seats to under 61 seats, right? They were always, uh, it was always a fragile government sort of hovering right on that threshold of, of viability. So it doesn't take much to tip the scales when you're that close to to a majority. That said, I am specifically, there have been some members of the government Liz, I, I lost your, you just automatically muted yourself. Come on oh, back. Then. Sorry about that. <laughs> I am, I'm not sure where I lost you, but I was saying that there have been, you know, a few members of the government sort of all along the way that um, every once in a while have sort of brought up the question of whether they want to stay in this government, whether they support the government. Um, there have, you know, there were a few that stepped down and then the replacement stepped up in their stead. Uh, most recently, I think Orbach is a member of Knesset who um, had some meetings and questions of whether he would or would not stay in this government. Um, but in the end, the it's I think it's important to clarify for people that Actually, um, there has yet to be a vote about whether to dissolve the government. And the reason why um, Naftali Bennett agreed to step down at this point without being forced to do so and, and hand the prime ministership over to Yair um, Lapid is actually for a different sort of technical reason. Um, do you want to also chime in about that a little bit? Well, I, I think that's the interesting thing is that, you know, some of the commentary has been that um, Neftali Bennett wanted to step down on his own terms rather than to have it be a fight of the opposition and the coalition. And it was um, initiated because there's a, a bill that, that needs to be renewed. And he supported this bill and he knew that the opposition, the the folks on the opposition, primarily um, in the Likud, would object to the passing of this bill. And it's a critical bill for the settlers, the citizens in the West Bank. Is, is that the direction you were going to go with your thoughts? So, yes, I know. As <laughs> I understand it, it's not so much that the opposition doesn't support this bill. The opposition, which includes um, you know, a range of parties might very well support this West Bank emergency bill as well. However, if they dissolve the government and then there was not an opportunity to renew this bill, um, it would put uh, the, a not insignificant number of uh, Jews living in the West Bank, settlers, into jeopardy because this is the law 
which uh, clarifies that they are considered residents of Israel, even though they live in disputed territories, which makes them able to get health insurance and avail themselves of education and get driver's licenses and all sorts of other services that if you suddenly had thousands of people without that ability, you'd have a very big problem on your hands. And the question is whether the you know, opposition might sacrifice, so to speak, uh, those people in order to, you know, hold the current government hostage or prove that they don't have the best interests of all of Israel's citizens at heart or something like that. And so in that sort of uncomfortable ultimatum ticking clock sort of situation, um, is how Naftali Bennett made the decision that he would, in fact, on his terms, step down, hand the reins over to Lapid. And now that automatically provides an extension for the this West Bank emergency law. So it doesn't matter you know, whether people vote for it or don't vote for it because it's just going to be extended for right now. Um, and we'll see next week whether, in fact, there is a vote call to dissolve the government. Um, and if that vote is called, whether it passes or not. But either way, Yair Lapid will now be the prime minister um, until the next election and then until another a new government is formed, whenever that happens. The earliest of which, <coughs> as agreed by both that, <coughs> excuse me, I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll let you catch your breath while I ask. You know, you you're going to come in in a second, but uh, this is classic politics where uh, Naftali Bennett sees the good of the country is more important than his leadership as prime minister or his personal agenda as a prime minister. So he's he's basically sacrificing his role in order to secure a piece of legislation that's important to him and the country. Um, <clears throat> that's true. It's I'm not everybody in the country would say that this is an important or fair piece of legislation. But um, yes, what you said is true. And what I was uh, attempting to say before something jumped into my throat was that um, as agreed by both uh, sides of the government, the earliest an, a new election would be called this for October 25th. So we'll see if it's then or sometime shortly thereafter. Um, but but it's obviously a very interesting and unique situation to have one prime minister sort of willingly hand over the role to to another person um, for you know the sake of a certain amount of keeping the status quo. Right, because this bill, whether it's a good bill or a bad bill, or how we feel about the West Bank politically, it is a bill that has been passed sort of without much ado every five years for quite a while. So certainly having it passed or at least be extended for now is a is a maintaining of the status quo. It's not, you know, rocking the boat in any way. So is it possible next week? The when the government votes to dissolve the government, they choose not to dissolve the government, and that puts uh, interim prime minister Lapid 
as prime minister for the remainder of the term? Or is there still a chance that they'll have to go to elections in October? I'm, I'm kind of confused on that level. So um, the even if they vote to dissolve the government, did not succeed, and Yair Lapid remains in his role as prime minister, he'll be in exactly the same position that Naftali Bennett has been in, that it is a very precarious government, and that threat of finding himself without 61 members and or it being called to a vote to dissolve the government will continue to sort of hang over his head um, until at some point one of those things will happen and then there will be elections. So, yeah, it's possible that it won't happen next week. And then we'll sort of continue as we have been for the past year and one week of a government trying to do its best, trying to govern with its hands a little bit tied behind its back because of the way the numbers have worked out. Um, but the the opposition also being in that position of not having the numbers to necessarily dissolve the government and call for new elections. So speaking of the opposition, the leader of the opposition is former Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. I'm sure that he's uh, doing the happy dance right now, knowing that the government that he was in opposition of has has collapsed or failed. Uh, does that put him in a in a significant role moving forward, or is it more again that he wasn't able to gain the majority uh, in his role in the last election? Where does this put him in this picture? So I think you're right. He's probably doing his happy dance someplace. I'm not sure I know exactly what that looks like, but he's probably doing it. And from Netanyahu's perspective, I think the idea of um, going to elections with Yair Lapid in the role of prime minister is even more attractive than the idea of going to elections with Naftali Bennett in that role because... Um, in, you know, Naftali Bennett was far enough to the the right that there were those swing voters that maybe really had to decide, do they want to be in his camp or are they more, you know, in favor of Netanyahu? Yeah, Lapid, further to the left, the decision is more clear and there are voters that will fall off sort of from what is now the camp of the current government. Um, that might be less inclined um, to to want to be part of that government or to to support you know that coalition with Lapid at the helm. So this is really quite interesting. In a study in in parliamentary democracies, is now the question is well, what kind of work can this government do in the interim? Or is it now just a campaign uh, cycle where everybody's kind of campaigning for their own positions in the next government? So I'm not sure if they're campaigning quite yet. Um, <laughs> campaign seasons in Israel are not lengthy like they are in the U.S., both because 
unfortunately, we get to do elections very often. So you can't have that long of a campaign period. Um, And also because I think just Israeli politicians are not used to the idea of having to spend a lot of money for a lengthy campaign. So really, um, in in most elections, you don't see very much campaigning at all until really the weeks leading up to the election. I mean, you certainly know who's running and there's articles, there's interviews sort of here and there, but you don't see serious campaigning until the last few weeks. Um, can this government continue to govern or try to do very much? I don't know. I am, but I I am a fan of Yair Lapid. I, I have been for a long time. And I would like to think that he will, you know, um, whip out those dimples and work some diplomatic magic and maybe do things that we didn't think were possible before. You know, and it's not at all in a... Um, as a dig to Bennett, but they're they're different politicians, right? And there are things that maybe uh, Bennett did that he was the only one who could do them. But I also think there are things that we may see Lapid do that didn't happen until now in this government. And finding those areas of mutual agreement is something that he has sort of pulled some rabbits out of his hat before. Um, and maybe he will again. Well, that sounds like a to-be-continued statement. Um, I had other things on our list to talk about, but we'll do that next time we talk. Are there other things that you um, have been following that you want to share before we say goodbye? So one other thing maybe that I'll just share, um, since you know our listeners are very interested in Israel and how things work here and government and social services and, and the like, um, one phenomenon that people may or may not know about in Israel is, um, in general, the culture of uh, unions and their strength and a culture of striking in order for workers to get what they want, uh, which is a very strong component, I would say, of Israeli society and history of labor in Israel. And in particular, one very strong union with a very detailed history of striking uh, are the teachers unions. And this past week, we have seen quite a lot of that. The teachers throughout the country who are members of the uh, one of the two largest teachers unions uh, were on strike last week uh, on Thursday, and again this week on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. Now, these were not full-day strikes. These were strikes in which school began at 10 a.m., so kind of a weird thing, enough to, like, make parents crazy and maybe make politicians take some sort of notice, but kids are still in school, sort of. And tomorrow, they will have a full-day strike. So it is keeping us parents on the edge of our seats to know if and when our children actually have preschool and school. 
And we'll see what happens, whether the teacher's demands, which actually I don't know specifically, but I assume it's um, more pay as it usually is, um, get met or, or what will happen. But we're having some exciting labor stuff going on here. Well, that's an interesting topic to continue discussing as we continue on our podcasts. Uh, but I have to think back to when COVID was happening and teachers were, you know, having to handle a, a big chunk of the work, whether at home or in school or just juggling all the different nuances of COVID that uh, this is just a continuation in a sense of the way teachers are viewed in society, that uh, they need some support, they need extra uh, extra income, not quite sure, but I'm sure we will explore that. Uh, I want to thank you, Liz, again, for your insights into things. And thank you to our listeners to listening to Israel Rebound. I have to say that uh, we have more and more people listening to Israel Rebound. Uh, we, haven't reached, we haven't reached stellar numbers yet, but we still grow numbers every week. Um, thank you all for listening and uh, tune in uh, next time. All the best. Thanks.